name is not Dr. Google. I'm Dr. V. I want you to be healthy and happy, so we're going to talk about all the things I can't fit into a 15-minute appointment. Let's get started. Step into my office. Hey, everybody. Uh, Welcome to another episode of Office Visits with Dr. V. At this point, I have about seven episodes out and people are listening. And I thank you all for uh, supporting me. And I hope it's helpful to you. One question I've been getting is menopause. Oh, my goodness. Can you help me with menopause? I, I am happy, happy. And, and it is my pleasure. It is my pleasure to talk about this topic. I'm going to give a brief overview Just going to give a brief overview and we might go back and kind of break this down in later episodes. But the title of today's episode is Transition, Not Tragedy. Transition, Not Tragedy. It is very important that we recognize that when we start to go through menopause or perimenopause, that it is a transition. This is a normal condition. It's not a disease And there's no pathology here. It's a normal transition. I would like to let you all know that I feel that this is going to help a lot of women. I think it's going to help a lot of women's husbands. (laughs) I think it's going to help a lot of women's family and co-workers because this particular transition that we go through can change you into somebody you may not recognize. So again, the title of this episode is Transition, Not Tragedy. The transition that we're making in our 40s and 50s is similar to puberty. So puberty is kind of the opposite of menopause. So we're young, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Our hormone levels are the same. And then puberty happens and our estrogen levels start to go up. And what happens? Our bodies change. We start getting breast development, new odors, hair in different places, and we start our periods. Things change. We go through a transition. And I don't know about you all, but maybe you know some teenagers going through puberty or young adults and uh, young girls, and they're not the same. Their moods are kind of all over the place. And so I really think menopause is is similar to puberty, but in the reverse. So what is menopause? The medical definition of menopause is when you have not had a menstrual period for one whole year. You've not had a menstrual period for one whole year. Now, usually we think of a menstrual period as five to six days of flow, moderate or heavy flow. But as we start to go through menopause, we're going to see some changes in the type of flow. So why does our flow change and why does this process start to happen? Well, what happens is that your estrogen levels start to drop. So your ovaries make they're one of the places where your body um, makes estrogen. And by the time menopause is said and done, your estrogen levels have dropped by about 95 percent. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. It is gradual. But that transition from going to the higher level of estrogen to the lower level of estrogen changes things uh, on the inside of your uterus. So the lining, which usually grows with the stimulation from estrogen, 
it actually doesn't grow as much because there's not as much estrogen. So your periods get lighter. This is really important. And this is one of the caveats that I want you to take from this is that as those menstrual periods change, they can either get really, really light. They can space out or you can just have some brown spotting when you wipe. And so guess what? You need to keep track of this. You need to get a menstrual app or you need to get a calendar because any bleeding that you see, whether it's a full flow that you're normal, you're used to, or if it's the brown spotting, you need to write that down because once you have gone through menopause, any bleeding after that point, we call it postmenopausal bleeding. And we have to make sure that it's not endometrial cancer or uterine cancer. The first sign of uterine cancer is going to be bleeding after menopause or unusual bleeding even before menopause. I had a patient once who she had postmenopausal bleeding, we thought, and What's the workup? She had to get an endometrial biopsy. So there's a cost for the biopsy, the cost for the pathologist to read it. Then she had to get an ultrasound. And after it was all said and done, she found the calendar and found that she really wasn't perimenopausal. I mean, postmenopausal. She actually, it hadn't been quite a year. And so we did all of this workup because she didn't know the date. So that's really, really important. So for those of you who are starting to transition, please, please, please uh, make sure you keep up with it. Now, some of you are going to say, wait, I've already had an ablation or I've had a hysterectomy. When am I going to know that I'm going through menopause? And the answer to that is that we don't know. We won't be able to pinpoint the time where you actually go through menopause because the definition is based on your menstrual periods. And so for those of you don't know, an endometrial ablation gets rid of the endometrium. So some women stop having periods. They're not menopausal but they stop having periods because of that procedure. So some of you are familiar with menopause and others have heard a lot about perimenopause. So what's the difference? So perimenopause is just the time before and after menopause. Perimenopause is is marked by those changes that you start to experience, all the symptoms of menopause. Nothing magical happens when you get to that year of not having any periods anymore. Nothing magical. Just because your period stops doesn't mean the symptoms of menopause stop, like hot flashes and night sweats. And those can go on for years. Hopefully they won't be as intense, but they can extend for several years after you've actually gone through menopause. So let's talk about some of the symptoms. All right, so... I think the more common symptoms that most women have heard of and experience are hot flashes. Hot flashes are where you are hot, your normal temperature one minute, you feel fine. And then all of a sudden you get this sudden burst of heat. And I've even seen women who I'm I'm talking to them, looking in the face and all of a sudden their face gets red and you can see the sweat beating on their face. The heat comes on all of a sudden. I don't want to get too technical, but essentially there's an abnormality with the your thermostat and how the heat and your body temperature is controlled when you're going through menopause. Night sweats. Night sweats are kind of like hot flashes, but at night when you're in the bed. Now you can go from, all right, I just need to kick the covers off. I need to wear lighter pajamas. Or it can be as severe as I have completely soaked through my pajamas, soaked through my sheets. I've got to take the sheets off. I've got to take a shower and potentially do it all over again. 
That's a severe case. The other things are vaginal dryness. Now, some of these changes you're going to have, and hopefully they'll become less intense, but something like vaginal dryness potentially will not be so bad initially, but then can worsen. So estrogen helps the lining keep the blood flow going and the lining of the uterus stays nice and fluffy and stretchy. And when you don't have that estrogen, something called atrophy happens where the lining gets really thin and it can dry. You don't have any um, discharge anymore and it doesn't stretch as much. So if you're using your vagina that can preserve it, i.e. if you're having sex or putting something inside or having penetration of some sort, it can still stay elastic. But if you're not sexually active and you're going through menopause, it can atrophy to the point where when you want to reuse it, it's an issue. One of the more disturbing symptoms of menopause is uh, mood changes. You can be perfectly fine before menopause. And as the estrogen levels start to decline, it can unmask anxiety and depression anxiety and depression. And so some women never before in their life have they felt that they had these issues. But as soon as those hormone levels drop, they start to see this. And and that's not unusual. It doesn't mean you're technically crazy or anything like that. It just means you're going through a transition. So memory loss or just not clear thinking, not being able to concentrate. Some people call it brain fog. Now, I really feel like some of these changes happen as you get older, but it seems like it can be enhanced as you start to transition. Other things, difficulty sleeping. Oh my goodness, your sex drive starts to go down. That estrogen hormone, right before you ovulate, when that goes up, your libido goes up. Your partner starts looking a lot better than they did before you, your estrogen levels went up. And so as you start to decline with the estrogen, your sex drive, you can lose that or it's not as strong as it once was. Now, metabolism. Oh, my goodness. This is another one. You start to get what I call the spare tire. So even though, you know, you're exercising maybe and you're eating the same things, you still have a change in your metabolism such that you can start to slowly gain weight and particularly you can have abdominal fat. All right, joint pain too. Joint pain is one of those that I think is kind of not nebulous, but there are other things that can, can that can contribute to joint pain that are are due to menopause. So, how do we navigate this time of our life? And there's a lot of ways that you can prepare yourself to go through menopause. There are a lot of ways that you can lessen the impact. We're going to talk about lifestyle changes. We're going to talk about herbal treatments and we're going to talk about uh, medications. I want you to start with the basics. A lot of times we feel like we want to peel for everything. And don't get me wrong, medications can be helpful. But you want to start with the minimum of changing your lifestyle so that it can potentially lessen the intensity of menopause and it can save you from having to expose your body to these medications. So the things that you're going to want to change or pay close attention to, your diet, exercise, sleep, reducing your stress, reducing your stress and maintaining a healthy weight. Now, Dr. V, you just told me that my metabolism is getting slower. Yes, there are some ways to maintain your weight, though. 
Now, listen, I said maintain. I didn't say lose weight. You don't necessarily, there's definitely a win and not gaining more weight. Just remember that. All right, so let's take the first one, diet. I'm a big proponent of a whole food plant-based diet. There are tons of benefits that go along with it. Season two is going to be dedicated to our lifestyle changes and our health and wellness. So stay tuned for that. But you want to eliminate the meat, cut out the processed foods that includes sugar, fatty, salty processed foods. Now, one lifestyle change and one thing you can make and introduce into your diet is soy. And briefly, I'm just going to talk about soy because I think soy has gotten a bad rap. Soy can stimulate the estrogen receptor, just like your own estrogen. So originally, you know, we said, okay, wait, if there's a breast cancer and it has an estrogen receptor and that makes it grow, then the soy is going to attach to that estrogen receptor and it's going to cause cancer. We discovered, and when I say we, I say other scientists, y'all know it wasn't me, but we discovered that there's an alpha and there is a beta receptor. The alpha receptor can potentially upregulate things and the beta receptor downregulates. So your the the estrogen, the phytoestrogen or isoflavones in soy attaches to the beta receptor and it actually downregulates. So there is actually benefit. There's actually benefit in taking soy or increasing the soy in your diet. Let me just tell you this. In Japan, where they have a a high intake of soy, they don't even have a word for hot flashes like they they don't have the language for it because it's, it's, it's very rare. It's very rare for them to have hot flashes. And it's because of what they're eating. I'm gonna stay on soy for a little bit. They've actually studied soy. And soy has been shown to decrease hot flashes. Now, they've looked at it where you've had the placebo. So women think that they're getting soy or they're getting something, but they're not. And then you have soy. So this is the powerful part. When they looked at the benefits or decreasing the symptoms, there are some women that actually in the placebo group decreased their symptoms. And on average, they decreased by 20% just from the placebo group. That's an aside, but just thinking and changing your mind can also help you. But particularly in soy, it decreased it by even more, and it was 45%, 45% less. So right now, the studies that we have are, are a little bit inconsistent, but we know that there is some benefit to adding soy back into your your diet and taking that to help with hot flashes. ACOG, which is the American College of OBGYN, they've endorsed it. And then the North American Menopause Society has recognized that there's benefit. Some of the studies have shown that if you intake two cups of soy milk, that that'll be equivalent to what the women in Japan are being exposed to. And they have the lowest rate of hot flashes. Now, the variations in the study for soy, it, it looks like the variation is it's kind of really based on what where the soy was extracted, how it was extracted, and it also is affected by the gut bacteria. We need to have another episode about this, but just flow with me. Flow with me real quick. Gut bacteria. The gut bacteria, which everybody doesn't always have because of what we eat or it's not plentiful 
it converts that soy, that isoflavone, into something called equal. If you have increased equal levels, your symptoms decrease. So how do we help get more of this gut bacteria so we can get more of this equal? Antibiotics can knock out your good bacteria, your gut bacteria, and probiotics have really not been shown to help improve it. In America, you know, outside of our Asian countries, in America, who has similar levels of equal is vegetarians. Vegetarians have more equal, and we think it's because they are eating more prebiotics. And prebiotics actually are fiber, plant-based fiber, and they actually feed the gut bacteria. And if you eat a wide variety of plant fiber, then you can have a really healthy, diverse group of gut bacteria. Guess what actually interferes with your ability or your gut bacteria to, to thrive and flourish? Dietary fat. So if you're eating a high-fat, fatty diet, you're at drive throughs most of the time, then guess what? Your gut bacteria is not being fed appropriately and you are going to have low equal levels. Again, you guys, soy does not increase your risk of breast cancer and uterine cancer. So I really, really want you to try this basic lifestyle change. I like to eat soy. There are tablets that you can try, but you can look into increasing the natural sources of soy in your diet to help with your hot flashes. All right, I'm back on track now. All right, so diet, whole food, plant-based diet, soy. The other thing is alcohol. You're gonna wanna decrease your alcohol intake. Stop smoking and reducing caffeine. All of these things, the caffeine and the smoking, they can be stimulants. They can rev up your system. So you wanna eliminate those. Now this next one, decreasing inflammatory foods. I have heard this more from a lot of women. Now let me just let you all know, I'm in my mid 40s. When I started practicing in OBGYN, I was in my late 20s. So the Dr. V in my 20s is different from the Dr. V now. And I am embracing all of the information that I can (laughs) because I'm actually starting to experience some of these changes. They're not so bad, but I'm really, really listening to my patients and listening to women that have successfully transitioned. One thing that I keep hearing is sugar, cutting out the sugar in your diet stops them cold. Well, I won't say cold, but a noticeable decrease to the point that you can function and don't necessarily have to take medications. So sugar actually is one of the inflammatory foods. And I'm briefly going to go over this. I'm going to give you a list. I did a online course with another OBGYN. She created the Galveston Diet. She created it as she went through menopause and started to change. And she's like, what the heck is happening? Did all this research and she packaged it into the Galveston diet. So she has a list of inflammatory foods. You guessed it. It's all the stuff that we love to eat, that you get addicted to, that you want to keep eating. Short list, sugar, processed foods, all fast foods, cookies, (laughs) Cookies, saturated fats, artificial sweeteners, cereals, alcohol indulgence, fried food, corn oil, crackers, diet sodas, trans fat. These are all inflammatory foods that you need to remove from your diet. What foods can help us fight inflammation? Quick list. 
Foods that can help us fight inflammation are tomatoes, nuts, berries, cherries, and oranges. Olive oil, leafy greens, fatty fish, turmeric, ginger, other spices, avocado, and garlic. Into a whole food plant-based diet, so olive oil and fatty fish, not on my list, but if you are going to stray from that diet, these are some things that that you can introduce. All right, so we want to get rid of inflammation. We want to introduce those things into our body that are going to help us with the transition from our reproductive years to our non-reproductive years. Another thing that you can do, exercise. Oh my goodness. If, If we could put exercise in a pill, it would be a wonder drug because exercise helps so many things in your body. I mean, from your head, literally to your toes. Your your mood can be increased. Your ability to sleep increases. And it actually helps to regulate your body temperature because, and, and honestly, I don't know the science behind it, but I'm thinking because you have fluctuations uh, in your body temperature while you are exercising that the system is kind of more in sync. But exercise is one of those lifestyle changes that you need to make. Exercise can also reduce inflammation. So I just listed the foods, but exercising itself can actually help reduce inflammation. I always talk about walking. People give walking, they don't give walking its props, but it reduces inflammation. It can also decrease the arthritis and the joint pain. What's one of the symptoms of menopause? You can start to have joint pain. It helps you maintain your weight. That's one of the lifestyle changes that we have to make, maintaining our weight, elevated mood. We already talked about the happy brain chemicals that are stimulated, and it's going to improve your bone strength. One thing that estrogen does is it does keep your bones nice and strong. So as we start to transition, you start to lose those estrogen levels, and then your bones start to be, they get affected. So There's osteopenia, osteoporosis. These are things where the bones are really soft, if you will, or brittle and can break easily. Sleep. Sleep is almost like exercise. It's one of those things where it affects so many things that you don't even realize. You really have to make sleep a priority. And you really want to, you want to look at the sleep hygiene, meaning what are the rituals around how you get ready for bed. If if you have a routine, it gets your brain in the habit. Now, one thing that can happen as you are in menopause, your sleep can be interrupted. So if you're used to having, what, four or five hours of sleep, and now you're only going to have two hours of good sleep, you know, that's going to be a problem. And lack of sleep helps your, or it interferes with your ability to focus and concentrate and you're tired and fatigued. You might have to sleep in lighter clothes. I had one patient. I I said, well, what are you wearing in bed at night? She says, I wear naked. (laughs) I don't wear any clothes. You might have to get down to the, the your birthday suit if that's what it takes. Now, something that I feel is is a reasonable option to help you sleep is melatonin. Your brain can make melatonin if you reduce the exposure to light. Because once it gets dark, that's when your brain starts making melatonin. But in the environment that we live in now, sometimes that's difficult. So melatonin is available over the counter. All right, let's talk about maintaining a healthy weight. You 
there's some women who haven't had to exercise, but usually around this time, most women start seeing changes that call for some extra attention. One thing that starts to happen to us in our 40s is we start to lose muscle mass and muscle is actually active. It requires that you burn some calories just to maintain it. So one of the things you're going to want to do to help your metabolism is improve your muscle mass. Weight training is important, but anytime you think of weights, it's not always you have to have the the dumbbells. You can use resistance bands. Resistance bands, they're affordable, they're cheap, and there are lots of workouts on YouTube and other outlets um, that can give you a safe workout. Even using your body weight, you know, so, so planks, you know, something where you're just really trying to increase your muscle mass, that will help your metabolism. The other thing is intermittent fasting. And all intermittent fasting is, is, is setting a window where you eat and then the remainder of the time you don't eat. So your body gets a break and can process things. But in doing so, it helps you not to gain weight. We didn't always, we haven't evolved in an environment where we always had food around us, always had food. So you might not know it, but we're in an obesity epidemic and we're living in an environment where we have food access, excess. We have food excess. There's more food around than we need. And so really kind of looking into intermittent fasting, I've done a window from 12 to 8. There's some studies that are showing that you don't want to eat past 7 p.m. due to your circadian rhythms. But there's a lot of information out there that you don't need to be eating 24-7. You get up in the middle of the night, you're hungry. You don't need to be in the refrigerator. That actually adversely affects your weight. All right, so let's switch gears to some of the treatments. What I tell my patients, you know, in the office is that, you know, if your symptoms aren't that bad, like if you're not sweating through your clothes at night, you want to try the lifestyle changes first, and then you want to layer in some of the herbal therapies. Now, one of the herbal therapies that really has been studied well and we know works is black cohosh. Others are Don Quai, red clover, chaseberry. These can all help with the symptoms that we previously discussed. Now, if you're somebody who's having severe symptoms where serious significant disruption to your quality of life, these probably aren't going to be enough. But for those who are having mild to moderate symptoms, it really can take the edge off, especially if you're adding in the lifestyle changes. Now, something to help with the vaginal dryness that you can experience is coconut oil. Oh, my gosh. Coconut oil. I think it's out there. Word on the street. Everybody knows about coconut oil as a lubricant and as a moisturizer. And it actually has some antifungal properties. So it is safe to put it in the vulva. The vulva is outside of your female genitalia, just so you know. It's not the vagina. We've already been through that. Other things that you can use are magnesium, which helps with balancing um, your hormones. And then acupuncture and meditation. Meditation, like sleep and like exercise, helps a whole bunch of stuff. Meditation can actually help with your, your mindset. It can help calm your mind. It can help you focus. So we talked about earlier about how 
your thinking and your the brain fog is an issue. I also talked about how the placebo effect, women thinking they're taking soy and not, actually helps their hot flashes just because of what they thought. So medic- meditation is really something you should look into. And for all of those who have not tried it, don't go in thinking you're going to meditate for 20 minutes the first time. If you can get a good minute in of quiet and nothing coming into your brain, you have achieved something very great. So the herbs are also a treatment. But again, I'd also put soy in here. And again, soy is something that you can eat naturally. And we always love to eat it, eat our supplements if we can, because it's packaged in the right container. Medications. Now, these are the things that you might have to go to a doctor for. You might have to pay a copay. And this I would like to reserve for women who are having moderate uh, to severe symptoms. So there was a time when estrogen, we thought, was actually extremely helpful. We thought that it helped prevent heart attacks. We know it, that it helped to keep the bones nice and strong and the mood stable. And it was almost like, you know, if you're going through menopause, it was like your vitamin. It seemed like everybody got them. And then there was a study that came along. The study was in 2002, the Women's Health Initiative, and everything came to a screeching halt. The study showed that women who were on combination hormones, estrogen and progesterone, were actually adversely affected and that their risk of heart attacks and strokes actually increased. Now, we are, what, 18 years out from the WHI study and we've learned There were so many women back in that time when that study came out, they came off of their hormone replacement uh, therapy immediately, and and it was a nightmare. But I've just summarized what we have learned since then, that estrogen by itself is not as bad as estrogen and progesterone. And yes, you can still use estrogen and progesterone for hot flashes, but you need to use the lowest dose for the shortest amount of time possible, the lowest dose for the shortest amount of time possible. So for my patients, you know, hey, I don't mind putting you on it if you have severe symptoms or if your quality of life has been affected. You tried lifestyle changes, you tried the herbal therapy, and it's still not enough. So I will put you on something. Every year, we're going to check back to see, huh, can we come off of it? Can we decrease it? What can we do to get you on the lowest dose for the shortest amount of time possible? Now, usually my patients who go from 20 hot flashes a day to five or 10, if they're still having those hot flashes at that rate, then yeah, we'll probably keep them on it. But let's say they've gone from 20 to two. Okay, maybe you can half in the dose and maybe you don't need as much. So remember, at some point, The intensity of the symptoms of hot flashes overall, or not hot flashes, but the symptoms of menopause potentially can improve. You don't need to be on estrogen forever. There are some exceptions, though. I still have some women in their 60s and their 70s who need it, and the hot flashes are are pretty disturbing. I will say to women in their 70s who are taking estrogen and have been taking it, their skin is fabulous. So yeah, there are some benefits, and sometimes patients want to take it because of how they look. 
I'm in the camp where we're not doing things because we look good. We're not going to expose ourselves to risk because of, of vanity. But if your quality of life is effective, definitely it's worth taking that risk. So this is a caveat. When you are considering hormone replacement therapy, one thing that you have to remember is that if you have a uterus, you've got to protect your uterus. Earlier, I said that estrogen stimulates the lining of the uterus. Well, if you're stimulating the lining of the uterus, you don't want it to grow out of control. That increases your risk of of uterine cancer, endometrial cancer. You have to balance it with the hormone progesterone. They they keep each other in check. So if you're taking uh, the, the stronger prescription strength forms of hormone replacement therapy, then you're definitely going to have to have estrogen and progesterone. And any good women's health physician provider will, will know this. If you happen to get something over the internet, you need to understand that if it's pretty strong, you're going to have to start protecting your uterus. How do you know if you're not protecting your uterus, you start bleeding and you start spotting? And that can be an issue that goes into that postmenopausal bleeding. So estrogen by itself, for those women who don't have a um, uterus, you really can take anything. So you think of it, you name it, they've got it in the form of estrogen. They've got patches, rings, gels, sprays, creams, anything you can think of, they have it. They have estrogen in some form. I'm a big fan of the estrogen patch. Most of them you use twice a week. You get a steady state of hormone for three days. And, you know, you really don't have to think about it. It's not something that you have to take every day. Now, the women who have to take, who have a uterus and have to take progesterone, that's a little bit different. In my practice, I found that most women prefer to take one thing at a time. So. If they have to take progesterone to protect their uterus, they want it in one pill. And most of our pills, they have estrogen and progesterone for hormone replacement therapy. They also have a patch that has estrogen and progesterone. But those are the only forms of combination at this time. Now, you can say, all right, I will just do my estrogen ring or my patch you still have to protect your uterus, but you don't necessarily have to take progesterone every day. There are some regimens where you can take what we call micronized progesterone, like Prometrium, and you take that 12 days out of the month. But you got to remember to take it 12 days out of the month and you might forget. The other thing is that, you know, some women are not going to stimulate their lining that much by taking a low dose estrogen. So there's really no sweet spot, but some women can actually get away with taking progesterone every other month or every three months. Do not do that without the help and instruction of your medical provider. Don't make that decision on your own. If you're going to play around with it, do it with your medical provider that can help you figure that out because you don't want to get into a situation where you're giving yourself too much estrogen. Again, though, these things are, I don't want to say intense, but it does require that you have a calendar. So my favorite option is a progesterone containing IUD. The IUD is inserted in your uterus in the office and it gives the lining of your uterus a steady dose of hormones. Now, the hormones are primarily working in the uterus, but some of it does get into your bloodstream. 
If you have a progesterone-containing IUD, you can use any form of estrogen that you want. You can use a patch, you can use a spray, you can use a ring, and you don't have to worry about um, protecting your uterus because the IUD is there. And, and we have IUDs that can stay in for as little as three years, up to six years. I've had some patients who all they needed was the IUD. And how do I know this? Because when we took it out, they started having hot flashes and they started getting symptoms. So sometimes, depending on you know who you are, the IUD by itself can can help. Now, I'm giving you guys some information about, you know, I, I said before that, you know, your periods can start to lighten and space out and you can spot. Some women actually get really heavy periods. They become irregular. They can become painful. And those women are, can benefit greatly from a progesterone containing IUD. It can stop the periods. It can potentially regulate them. So if you're one of those women where you're having hot flashes and heavy periods, a Mirena IUD and some estrogen can really help. And that can go a very long way. Other medications that you can get from your doctor or your provider, vaginal estrogen. So painful sex is something that happens as we go through menopause and it's because of vaginal atrophy. Again, don't always start out with the big guns. Try lubricants. Try vaginal moisturizers. Vaginal moisturizers are fairly new within the last few years, but the moisturizers are actually, it, it, it's not lubricants you use at the time of sex, but the moisturizers you can use all throughout the week. And it just gives you some of that moisture back. It does not, however, replenish the blood flow like vaginal estrogen does, and it doesn't necessarily improve the elasticity. So there are some vaginal preparations of estrogen. They come in the form of cream. You can have a tablet and you can have a vaginal ring. And that can just that can help primarily with the vaginal dryness and the pain that you can have with sex if you have vaginal atrophy. Now, let's say you don't have bad hot flashes. You know, that's not your issue, but you're having painful sex. You can do one of these local treatments and take care of that problem. You don't need to take a pill to treat your vagina. You can just treat the vagina itself. And honestly, if you're trying to just fix the vagina, you'd have to take really high doses to get benefit. Usually on a low dose, that's not going to address that issue adequately. Now, something else that you can get from your doctor, we talked about the mood changes, antidepressants. Antidepressants can help balance the mood when you're transitioning through menopause. And not only can they balance your mood, guess what? It actually helps hot flashes. And there are particular antidepressants that affect norepinephrine that have been shown to reduce hot flashes. So there are a subset of women who cannot take hormone replacement therapy. Breast cancer, women who've had breast cancer are women who cannot take estrogen. If you're on blood thinners for any reason and you get blood clots, you can't have estrogen. Heart attacks and strokes. So if you have a really, really bad history of high blood pressure and uncontrolled diabetes, it's not advised for you to take hormone replacement. And that's some of that information that we learned from the WHI study. So one of the alternatives that I turn to first is antidepressants. Effexor is a popular one. There's something called Brisdale 2 that's a really low dose Paxil. It's not the, the same dose as, the, as Paxil that's needed to treat depression. It's a much lower dose. And these have been shown uh, to help with hot flashes. There's some blood pressure medications like clonidine that can help. I'll be honest, I haven't used that so much, but it does help with those hot flash symptoms. We call them vasomotor symptoms, and it corrects that. 
Vitamin D, uh, a lot of us are deficient, but you need vitamin D to make your serotonin levels. So, you know, insurance companies don't allow us to check vitamin D on every single person. We just assume everybody's deficient and you should take a thousand a day. But if I have a patient who is having depression or if you have osteopenia, osteoporosis, these are times where I will check it. And so getting that vitamin D level up is really important. Now, bioidentical hormones, that's been a big topic. Natural, non-synthetic hormones. You know, I will say as a physician, I don't knock anything that helps any of my patients as long as it's safe. Now, what I don't want is patients spending a lot of money and doing a lot of unnecessary testing and buying things that aren't going to benefit them in the long run. So I'm not saying that they're unsafe, but I think some of the benefits that have been claimed are not um, superior to other forms of estrogen. But I'm not the expert on that. And I would recommend that you you get to a very knowledgeable and integrative physician that you trust or provider, integrative provider that can walk you through that. There are estrogen pellets that you can put under the skin and testosterone pellets. And I've heard great things about those. Some of my patients have done really, really well with it. So again, I see that there's benefit and I think it's safe. That's not something that I currently do in my practice, but you should you should seek out somebody who that is their niche and that you you can trust. Okay, guys, I've given you a lot of information in this episode. It went longer than I thought. And guess what? I can really, I can do an episode on probably any of the topics that I talked about. So I hope this information um, was helpful. Again, this is just going to be the beginning. Main bullet points, transition, not tragedy. You can navigate this time of your life really look at changing your lifestyle. And that's true for anybody, even men who don't go through menopause like we do. Uh, Lifestyle changes are your first stop. Sleep, diet, exercise, reducing your stress. Try the herbal therapies next. The herbs, black cohosh, don quai, meditation, acupuncture, these things, melatonin to help you sleep. Then move on to working with your provider, your medical provider for prescription strength hormone replacement therapy or antidepressants to help with the symptoms of menopause. Please, if you think that you need help and you've you've tried everything on your own, please make an appointment with your provider to specifically talk about this time of your life and what you can do. Again, there are going to be some women that can't take hormone replacement therapy, and there are going to be some women that need to take hormone replacement in, in the right way, i.e. you've got a uterus. So guys, I'll just say, you know, my audience is wide, but for those of us that are in our mid-40s and going through it, knowledge is power. Learn as much as you can and understand that this too, <laughs> this too shall pass. This too shall pass. Transition, not tragedy. You're going to make it. This too shall pass. So just remember, transition, not tragedy. Thank you for listening to Office Visits with Dr. V. My prayer is that something said on this podcast will get you started on a path to your optimal health and wellness. The information, including opinions and recommendations discussed in this podcast, 
is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Such information is not intended to be a substitute for the advice of a qualified and licensed physician or other healthcare provider. Although I'm a doctor, this does not replace the advice of your licensed physician or healthcare provider. So please, seek the advice of a qualified healthcare professional before making any changes to your healthcare regimen. And another thing, just by listening to this podcast doesn't make me your doctor. However, if you want to stay connected, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Office Visits with Dr. V. And go to my website at OfficeVisitsWithDrV.com. That's OfficeVisitsWithDrV.com. Let's follow up next time. Blessings.